interconnected topics. I figured tonight we would do so. I'm joined by or with uh, joined by uh, Nathan Martin. Martin Nathan. Now I'm getting it all mixed up. Which is Nathan it? Martin. Nathan, Nathan Martin. Martin. So uh, thank you for that, and uh, thank you also to everybody who subscribed to the channel and who sent their support and donations and love over the last week. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, so uh, we've got an interesting topic about empathy and, uh, well, empathy and how would you call it? Well, I, I kind of call it empathetic reasoning. Empathetic reasoning. Um, All right. It's not that, that is just kind of a term I coined uh, because it is a, a function of reason. And, and a lot of people don't realize that it's a function of reason and they think it's some ooey gooey emotional thing. And they they claim that a lot of people lack this, which a lot of people do. But it's usually like the new age types saying that, you know, I am empathetic. And, right. <laughs> well, and, and, and we're going to get into that. And the reason why it's so dark behind you, Nathan, is you are in Belgium. Is that correct? Yes, that is. And uh, what's that? I've been here for seven years now. Seven I'm years originally from America. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you from here? Uh, I was. uh Colorado-ish is where I call home. Okay, gotcha. Colorado is a pretty decent place as long as you stay away from uh, places like Boulder, you know. Yeah. <laughs> where they have all of the SJWs and whatnot. But uh, so, what's your background, Nathan? Um, well, you know, I I started off in the in the military, um, in the Air Force, and I learned how to troubleshoot F-16s. And as a result of learning how to troubleshoot F-16s. I got into IT after I got out of the military and troubleshot computers. Um, after I got out of the military, out of computers, I started troubleshooting feelings and helping people to turn their intelligence inwards in self-reflection to basically work through emotional states, poor quality emotional states to improve them to high quality emotional states. Excellent. So, uh, former U.S. Air Force, huh? Yep. Nice. All right. Well, let's dive right in. What is empathy? Well, empathy is, well, I'll, I'll just basically read it from you. Uh, I go with the definition from intellectual empathy, which is from criticalthinking.org. And it's having a consciousness of the need to imaginatively put oneself in place of others in order to genuinely understand them. And it requires a consciousness of our egocentric tendency to identify truth with our immediate perception of long-standing truth um, or thought. And this trait correlates with the ability to reconstruct accurately the viewpoints and reasoning of others and to reason from premises, assumptions, and ideas other than our own. So an empathy is something that kind of slows down and asks questions rather than jumping into something. Um, so if I make a post on my wall on Facebook and I, I, I write about it and somebody comes in and just starts blasting me, they're lacking empathy. They're not actually asking me questions. They're not trying to understand my viewpoint. Um, and they're not even asking for my reasoning. So uh, it's not that they have to agree with me. It's not that they have to um, identify with my position. All they have to say is, well, how did you come to that position? Correct. And what people don't realize is that a, contra a contradiction is always a lie or an error. And if there is a contradiction between you and the other person, it would stand to reason that they would ask questions to figure out which is the contradictory or the 
erroneous viewpoint. And then once you're on the same page and looking at the same information, then people can understand and come to the same reasoning or rational thought as to why you're holding a viewpoint. And, you know, I get this constantly because I do a lot of research and I'll spend days, weeks, months researching something. And then, you know, like MKUltra, for instance, and then somebody will come along and say, well, you're wrong because, you know, you've never done mushrooms. Well, yeah, I have. I've done them hundreds of times, actually, and I'm a leading expert on psychedelic drugs, if not the and MKUltra, et cetera. And in fact, that shelf right over there is about 24, 26 shelf feet space just on books on psychedelic drugs, and I've read just about all of them. And, uh, you know, and it's like people actually believe that, you know, when I say that the whole of the psychedelic revolution was the real MK Ultra program. They can't get their mind around that because they're not approaching it, approaching it from, as you said, an empathetic point of view. They they approach it from. They think they already know everything because they were high on drugs, right? And and also there's um, empathy provides uh, breadth of logic. So when you're you're trying to you can get depth of logic, you can get clarity. Well, empathy provides breadth, and breadth is where you are adding viewpoints to your own. And now you're going to actually look at those viewpoints. You you might actually find some parts of those or aspects of those viewpoints that are actually quite logical and reasonable and things you didn't know yet. And so you're going to take that and now integrate it into your viewpoint. Right, but what- but let me let me ask you, Nathan. Th- doesn't that require that you actually look at the information and take it in, so that you're capable of of having various viewpoints? Yeah, yeah, um, and also it, it presupposes emp- uh, humility, because right. if you already know it all, I and mean, this is actually the one character trait, humil- humility is one character trait that if a person does not have it, I can't talk to them. That's that's really good, and, and and humility would be the the capacity to admit that you're wrong when other information surpasses your own, and it it's not even that it's it's just the admission that I don't know everything. Well, that and that's true, and and you know how I've always, or at least for the last what ten plus years since I put out the Trivium method with Gino Denning back in two, October two thousand nine is whenever I approach a new subject, I ask myself, have I ever asked myself who, what, where, and when before I Mm -hmm. determine why or the conclusion of something and try to express how I got to it? And if I haven't, then I have to admit to myself, well, I'm incompetent, so how do I overcome my incompetence? And that's generally how I approach every new subject. Whereas, you know, and that's really, in my opinion, the defining characteristic between intelligent people versus morons or ignoramuses. You know, because an ignoramus, ignorant, uh, somebody who ignores information, they generally, and, you know, and we'll get into this more, but they generally suffer the Dunning-Kruger effect, whereas the, the more ignorant a person is on a subject, the less educated they are, the more they tend to think they know about it. Whereas somebody, you want you want to jump in there? Well, I, interesting thing about Dunning-Kruger effect is I actually kind of discovered where it came from. 
uh, there was a book called Corrupted Culture, and it was talking about humanistic psychology. And in humanistic psychology, they reversed cause and effect. And um, causal fallacies are a really big deal because if you re reverse cause and effect, you're, you're going to have some really big issues. What they did is they reversed self-esteem with achievement. So it, it's usually you achieve something through hard work or just some kind of achievement. And then you gain confidence as a result. You you gain confidence, you gain self-esteem, you gain um, uh just confidence in yourself. And the Dunning-Kruger effect is inflated sense of self-confidence. Right. So if, if you flip that and now it's like, I'm going to tell you, you know, oh, you're such a good person. You can do anything. Right. And that's, I'm just going to just blow smoke up your, your tail end <laughs> on a regular basis until you, you know, you could be president if you wanted to. Uh, and these people are in all these snowflakes and those kind of things. They're going through life uh, being inflated, hyperinflated by all this self-esteem and people telling them that they're good enough and smart enough and gosh darn it, they're worth it. And uh, <laughs> but they you don't achieve anything. You should get a free F-16 because and a free education <laughs> and free everything because by golly, you're worth it just for showing up. Yes, exactly. You know, everybody gets a prize. Right. But what's that? That's doing is um, they've they said that so, uh, self-esteem will lead to achievement rather than achievement le leading to self-esteem. Right, exactly. Well, you know, and what's interesting, what I find really interesting is people will accuse me of having a huge ego or whatever because I've researched something and I'm confident in the mm -hmm. information that I've researched and they confuse the confidence in my ability and capacity with that information with ego, which is what they're doing by refusing to look at it. So they actually invert the whole thing and then project onto you what they are actually doing. Well, check this out. Egocentrism and sociocentrism. Sociocentrism is um, us versus them mentality. And egocentrism is me versus you. So I'm making you an opponent and I'm, I'm now talking down to you or whatever. That's egocentrism. Well, those kinds of people are actually very egocentric, us versus them. And they're lacking empathy because empathy builds bridges of understanding by wanting to understand other viewpoints. So, right. <laughs> well, you know, and then, you know, and we'll, we'll dive into this as we go. But the more you understand and utilize the trivium method, what, what people don't grasp who don't use it, they don't, what, what they don't grasp is that when you're going through the trivium method, you learn to see all of the other viewpoints, and then you debunk them before you even go public with your conclusion, because a contradiction is always a lie or an error, and there are no contradictions in nature. So this forces you to see all of these other viewpoints. You know, it's like one of the most idiotic and common ones that I get is, you know, mushrooms are older than the CIA, therefore the CIA couldn't use them for mind control. And, you know, this is literally the most common argument that I ever get. And yet every snowflake, every SJW, every, you know, left-hand pather uses that same argument. And they actually think that it's original and that I haven't heard it before. I mean, you know, maybe in the last few hours or the last few days, but, you know, I've actually written papers on that and explained how it's wrong through the actual research. Like, you know, they don't realize that the Aztecs, you know, when you go in and read the Florentine Codex, which is the foundation of the entire psychedelic revolution, they don't realize that even the Aztecs were warning against their use in there and calling those people who did that stuff bad. And then you realize that the whole thing in 
in Aztec or Mexica culture, you know, in case I upset a, a snowflake there, uh, let's <laughs> use the proper name Mexica. Uh, they don't realize that, um, that, that that was actually a death cult. And they've, you know, oh, well, you know, the Spanish published those books, so therefore they have no value. You know, so they'll use a circumstantial ad hominem against white people. And never mind that the Florentine Codex was written by, or written in Nuadal by the actual Mexica or Aztecs, right? So they'll use multiple fallacies to dismiss the information and then claim that I'm wrong because I wasn't high on mushrooms. It, it, you know, and what's interesting is they often repeat the same thing. So like if you've heard one person, you've heard a thousand of them on it because they keep repeating the same arguments on different things uh like it was socialism or with veganism or some of these others it's always the same argument over and over again and so i'll actually if i write a paper on something or write an article i'll include some of these arguments i start with I'll their arguments it. right <laughs> and and then what will happen is invariably they'll start using that argument against me right again when they're attacking my paper. And I was like, did you read my paper? Did you read my article? Well, yeah, you know, that's, this is why I start with their arguments in the introduction. And it's like, well, you know, I was a vegan and vegetarian and it landed me in the ICU. And if you actually read through or listened through or looked at the 30 some odd shows I've done on it, exposing it, you'd realize, oh, well, this guy was one, you know, and it's, you know, and, and there's always some moral superiority appeal to, you know, uh, whatever complex that they're using, you know, and they don't understand that grains and legumes, which are the, the staples of the vegetarian diet, are highly inflammatory. And eventually my intestinal tract shut down and I weighed 114 pounds, spent uh, five and a half days in the ICU, nearly died on my son's third birthday. You know, so it's like, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. And when you raise and, and another thing, you know, these these people, they are generally people who get their food from rappers and they work in a cubicle. They don't do hard work. It's an urban religion. You know, so there's city dwellers who work in a cubicle, have never done hard work, never lived out in out in the country and whatnot. So they have this fantasy that the world revolves around the city life and that everything should be like them. So they're against conservatives. They're against people who hunt. They're against, you know, people, well, that's, who, you know, that the cowboys a, and, and all of that. That, that is again, um, socio sociocentric thinking and it lacks empathy right? because they can't conceive of other viewpoints or other ways of life other than their own. Right. They're very much isolated in their own little internal bubble of, of thought and, so, and that's that's well said. So let's get into this. Um, let's discuss, and we kind of just did a bit, but let's discuss impasse and the New Age movement. Okay. So one of the big confusing things that, that people talk about is I'm an empath. Uh, I, I'm a very sensitive person. And I'm an empath. And this makes them special. It's like a little button that they get to wear. I'm an empath. And is, is that like time. the is that like the people sorry to interrupt is that like the people who have a photograph of themselves meditating on their profiles possibly possibly <laughs> doing yoga <laughs> um, the the empaths are always super sensitive um and they're it, it's nine out of ten new agers are are empaths and they they can just feel everything and it's it's almost like a superpower it's their superpower but if you if you actually start digging into it, what you can tell is one, it's very there's a, a high degree of narcissism with these 
empaths. And also there's uh, a lack of boundaries. And a boundary is going to tell you what is and is not my responsibility in relationship to other people. So, you know, if I have a fence on my property and my next door neighbor uh, separating my house, my next door neighbor's house, that fence tells me what is and is not my responsibility. His yard's not my responsibility. My yard's not his responsibility. We can know because of the boundary. Right. Well, when somebody lacks good boundaries, they don't know what is and is not their responsibility. And they're going to start taking on other people's stuff as if it's their own. Or they're going to dish onto other people stuff that's not theirs, but they think should be theirs. You know, like for example, healthcare is a right. Well, that's that's a lack of boundaries. You're they're pushing um, their beliefs and their uh, responsibility onto other people. You pay for my healthcare, right? And it's and it's almost always people who don't have children or family to understand that you know, hey, I want to invest in my children and family. Uh, not you, right? But they come along and they don't, they don't understand. And there's a, when you have children, you're no longer at the bottom intellectual rung. So generally people who don't have children think like children. When you become a parent, you, not a parent, but when you become like a father or mother, uh, you have a different level of understanding you created this life and you need to do whatever you can to provide for it and take care of it your cat is seriously interested in this conversation yeah she's wanting to lay on me here and uh so and then a grandparent is another level great grandparent another level but you know so you have all of this extended adolescence or arrested development in the left wing or left hand path in regards to socialism you know and this is all socially engineered it's all manufactured because um socialist systems need people without families to prop up the socialist government you know because the stronger your family and extended family is the less you need a socialist or communist government for and so the more that breaks down you know single mothers uh homosexuals etc they're going to be far more reliant upon the government than uh, people with large families and extended families, because that's the support base. And if you don't have that, you're naturally going to gravitate toward, you know, who you think should be mommy and daddy other than your mommy and daddy, who is the government. And I'd like to add to that, that um, reason is what separates an adult from a child. And those people that have become reasonable, they've refined their thinking, they've aligned with the law of reason, um, with natural law, they they've purified their thoughts and their thinking patterns. They are now sovereign because that, you know, aligning with the law of reason with reason itself makes you sovereign. Well, a child is still ruled by their parents. Now, if, if society is a bunch of children, then they can be ruled. They cannot self-govern because they don't have that. That's uh, John Locke talked about extensively in his um, treatise on government too. Very well said. So let's discuss uh, what is sympathy. Okay, yes. Yeah. So this goes back to the sympath or em- empaths. Sympathy means together in the emotion. Empathy means into the emotion. So with sympathy, you are actually sharing and feeling together with somebody else the emotion. So if somebody dies and you've experienced death in your family, then you are going to sympathize with that person because you have a shared experience. And you might even project onto this person your feelings if it's unresolved. If you haven't worked through that death, if you haven't processed those feelings, you used intelligence to 
and empathy on yourself to work through it. Now you might even start projecting onto other people if they have, they experience a death and you're going to kind of smother love them. You're going to project onto them your experience as if it is their experience and rather than letting them go through their experience. Now, an empathetic person who maybe has even lost somebody, they're going to ask them questions. They're going to be like, oh, so tell me about it. Well, did you really care about this person? What was your relationship to them? Who were they? You know, what, what kinds of things, what were some of your experiences with them? What does it mean to you that they've died? Are you, you know, what, what feelings are coming up to the surface because of this experience? So these are all uh, empathetic questions. They're boundary questions. Instead of feeling together with this person, you are keeping yourself at bay and letting them feel their feelings without projecting onto them. And now they can help you understand what they're feeling. All right, and let's go into empathy versus sympathy. Yeah, so empathy, I I think I just explained that. Um, Empathy is, you know, the ability to slow down, ask questions, try to understand. Sympathy is enmeshment. Well, and and, in these these so-called impasse in the new age uh, left-hand path, people they confuse empathy sympathy sympathy with empathy so they're really sympaths but that Mm -hmm. is imposing their viewpoint onto other people right rather than gathering information to understand other people which they don't really want to understand they don't want to understand why someone is a rancher or a hunter or a conservative or why they support Trump or why they support family or, you know, why they don't believe in, uh, you know, giving pedophiles free range or et cetera, you know, so it's, it's a drama triangle, really. They see everybody as victims. And so they're always seeing somebody as oppressed. They're a victim. So the drama triangle is the, by, by, by white males, especially. Yes. Yes, of course. And, uh, straight white males, actually straight. Yes. Cis white males. Right. (laughs) So um, what they're doing is they're seeing everybody as a victim, you know, everybody is an oppressed class, and uh, then they're the rescuer class, and then of course the oppressors are all the bad people that are oppressing. And And, so this is how this is how the left actually commits every mass genocide for the last two hundred plus years. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. They're just they're just seeing everybody. They're sympathizing as with everybody as a victim. So they're projecting onto them their own feeling of being a victim. And rather than dealing with their own inner victim and working through it and processing it using intelligence, they are now going to shadow project onto other people and now try to rescue them. They're going to be their hero and they're going to rescue you whether you like it or not. And if you're not going to be rescued, then you must be one of the villains. Right, right. This is the sociocentric and egocentric thinking, us versus them, me versus you. It reminds me of... uh... Caitlin Bennett when she was on some campus trying to do some interviews and people started attacking her but one of the guys comes up and just assumes straight out that she's a feminist right and of course no thinking family conservative Christian woman is a feminist you know and uh, this person was utterly shocked and then of course she immediately went from needing rescuing to being the villain right Exactly. Because it's, again, this drama triangle and it's, it's called Cartman's drama triangle. Right. And, and, and they, they are, yeah. Right. 
Yeah, and they they use that stuff on me constantly, you know, on my sh- you know for exposing what I do on the show, and then you you get all these these trolls and people, and they will actually troll me like the GDL and these these uh, neo Nazi Islamic groups or whatever. They'll troll me, and then they'll cry that you know like ugly lies will go out there and cry that he was the victim of my attacks on him when he and his trolls were putting out videos and and using coordinated attacks on me. So they actually invert the whole thing, and then they cry that they are the uh, victim. Yeah, they, they really do play the triangle really well. And they, they thrive on the triangle. And in fact, so uh, you got those dark triad people, which is the narcissist, uh, Machiavellian, um, psychopath types, which is a balance of those three. And they're, they're usually the, the tyrants, the, the head tyrants. And they really like to um, play the masses in their victim identity and help people to start identifying with being a victim. And even if they can, uh, they can even try to do that with the truth movement and make people try to feel like a victim of the government. And so anytime you start identifying as being oppressed, and you know there's an oppressor out there you're now starting to go into this pattern of relating with the victim hero and the villain and this is the the epitome of codependency and enmeshment and lacking boundaries and sympathy so this is the dark side of sympathy for sure and i would add to that 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 would be the foundation of sololinsky's rules for radicals oh yes yes you know, because what these, what these, and, the, you know, and Saul Alinsky starts his book off by praising Lucifer. But um, that is the foundation of what the whole left is. And they admit, you know, to be a radical, they have to reject everything and then pretend to be the victims and then go attack and project onto everyone else this narcissistic uh, fantasy. And they even say, don't use reason, be irrational. Well, that's, that's Sharia law right there. You, uh, in, in Islam, which, okay, okay, so the left, Baphomet is another name for Muhammad, but, which we've discussed on the show many times. But uh, so in Islam, under Sharia law, logic is banned. You, you follow whatever Muhammad says and whatever the Sharia law says, but you are not allowed to use logic and reason so that brings us now we've covered boundaries that brings us to the trivium method now okay (laughs) bringing it full circle a decade later (laughs) so uh i like when as you know you have knowledge understanding and wisdom um in, in integral psychology or uh spiral dynamics you have uh pre rational rational and transrational states or pre-personal, personal and transpersonal states. And this all represents, um, at least in my understanding, uh, the what, what, who, where and when for the knowledge, the why for the understanding, and then wisdom is how. And you can, with empathy, you can use these questions to better understand a situation. So, you know, tell me what your problem is. Who is there with you? When did this happen? Was it in your childhood? Right. Now, what does what does the social justice warrior 
type do and they'll even use NLP and rather than or nonviolent communication and rather than asking you these questions they'll f- insert into the dialogue what or assume in their head they'll create an ad hominem of, of what your need is are you talking about NLP or not NLP non NVC well not yeah nonviolent communication Marshall Rosenberg's crap and of course that's all tied to uh it's the most passive-aggressive form of communication I've ever seen. Yes, exactly. And we've done shows on uh, this show exposing it as, as crap. But it was created by Carl Rogers of, uh, of uh, MKUltra. So that was uh, – he was MKUltra Subproject 97, you know, this, this guy here. And uh, that flowed into neurolinguistic programming and nonviolent communication. So these guys are all uh, CIA. But yeah, you're exactly right. Go ahead. Okay. So uh, with the trivium, you can use what's also called Socratic dialogue. And Socrates, one of his big adages is, uh, the one thing I know is I know nothing. And not meaning that you can't know things, but that in the cosmic scope of everything, we're just very finite and... We don't know a lot and we should always ask questions to try to understand. And so Socratic dialogue is a a brilliant systematic method of of asking questions that goes really well with a trivium and with empathy so that you can seek to understand another viewpoint better, uh, regardless of whether you agree with it. And it also is able to challenge assumptions, find underlying root beliefs, and uh, help to deconstruct lies and and bring harmony so that you can actually uh, come out with real wisdom in the end. Um, because it's you know knowledge plus understanding minus contradictions equals wisdom. Correct. And then if you if you have you know a lack of knowledge and contradictions and logical fallacies that equals folly, and that's folly is the opposite of wisdom. Checking that out for a second, thinking about it. <laughs> no, that that was really well said, actually. So, uh, you know, and and for those who don't know or who haven't been listening to this show forever, uh, you can check out one of my other websites, triviumeducation.com. Of course, I brought out the Trivium Method with Gino Denning back in October 2009. So I recommend studying everything that we've put out on it. It's life-changing. It will show you how to think critically. Most people assume that they know critical thinking just because they exist and then you have to have humility to understand that you don't know critical thinking until you've actually studied it you know and I've had some narcissistic SJWs attack me and you're not you know you don't know critical thinking because you know I'm like um (laughs) actually I've taught it for a decade thank you but uh so do emotion and reason conflict no, they do not. Uh, good question. Everybody thinks they do, um, especially if you're in the love and light brigade and the, uh, the new age left. They're thinking that, oh, I'm beyond reason. I don't need that. I've, I've transcended. They actually say I've transcended. Well, it, it, it's perennial philosophy <laughs> at that point because per Aldous Huxley, uh, you know, who is the key architect behind MKUltra and these, these clowns like uh, – Alistair Crowley and Hassani Sabah, et cetera, on the satanic left, they believe that to know God, there's the external God and the internal God, which Karl Ruck created the term entheogens for the internal God. But 
their idea is that you shut off through Huxley's doors of perception. You shut off. Jiddu Krishnamurti is another fraud that promoted this same nonsense. But you shut off your five senses. You don't ask questions to gain knowledge. Rather, you go inward, and then you know God, and you know everything else. So it's really the most egoic approach of things. It's projection onto everything else, and assuming that you know everything by shutting off the five senses that we use to gather information by asking who, what, where, and when before we understand why and explain how. And so these people want us to shut off our five senses. The entire left, all of the New Age spirituality, the left-hand path, i.e. Satanism, is all based on this same idea. And we're going to go into Logos here in just a second. But when you shut that off, you cannot know reality. In fact, you become God in that sense because uh, nobody else has the right to live or feel or experience on their own, you project onto them that they are all the figments of your imagination, and anything that goes wrong in your life is because you had negative thoughts, and they don't have the right nor the agency to make their own decisions and to experience life, and for that matter, to make to, to take actions against you, such as criminals and whatnot. So you put yourself in the most egoic position possible that you are God and that the whole world is a reflection of you rather than the point of Logos, which is the opposite uh, of, of perennial philosophy and you know what Aldous Huxley and the, the Esalen Institute and all of the Satanists, Aleister Crowley, etc. put forth. So, but this is how they invert reality to fool us into uh, this nonsense. Okay, <laughs> I'm, try, I'm going to try to wrap it back to the original question. Did I leave it too untangled out there? <laughs> I, uh, I or or dis too unraveled, I should say. Pull it back around. Yeah, um, that, that that's okay. It's not a big deal. I. With logic and emotion, um, they, they come together and they're actually inseparable functions of mind, at least according to uh, Richard Paul of criticalthinking.org. Um, he's one of my heroes. I've read uh, at least a dozen of his books on the topic of critical thinking. He's passed away now. But he, uh, he posited that uh, emotion and logic are inseparable. And intelligence, you need to bring intelligence to bear on emotion so that you can um, create better quality emotions because our emotions are low quality because our thinking is poor quality. Correct. So it, with a trivium, you have uh, – it kind of equates to reality, gestur- reality generation, how we think something, then we feel it, then we act upon it. And this is actually also in psychology where you know when our thoughts determine our feelings and our feelings determine our actions – and if we have really poor quality thoughts, that means that our, our feelings are also going to be really poor quality. And then our, our behaviors are going to be poor quality because they're going to reflect our feelings and our actions. And then the feeling is kind of what motivates the action. So if we can take our, our thinking and start purifying it, we can you know, start seeing where we have fallacies. And we can, we can actually look at our feelings and our actions and our outcomes 
and try to understand that. And so we start processing all of this. We're like, okay, so I'm really upset right now. I'm triggered. I'm right. And I, I take that and my wife starts asking me questions. She wants to know, well, why are you feeling that? What, what's going on that you're upset about right now? And now we're going to start uh, probing my feelings to see if this is a high quality emotion or a low quality emotion. If in, is it based on a high quality thought or a low quality thought? And we go through and we process that until we come to the, the core belief pattern that's causing me pain. And once we alter that core belief pattern, such as like, I'm not capable, I'm not worthy, or I'm not valuable, or maybe I have a misunderstanding or I need to add some understanding. So I don't know a distinction between this word and that word. And I think they're one thing, but once I differentiate between the two, now I can understand how this is beneficial and this is not like sympathy and empathy. You know, if you have a conflation, you've conflated the two, you're going to kind of maybe get upset until you understand the difference. And once you understand that difference, now you're going to have better quality thinking. Therefore, you're going to start having better quality feeling. And Yeah, emotion. And, yeah. you know, so for those of you who haven't studied the trivium, just to interject here, uh, you know, you said, you know, you start processing or thinking about your own fallacies, your own false thoughts. And fallacy comes from the Latin falare, to lie or to deceive. So when we begin to learn the trivium method, which includes memorizing at least the most basic uh, 20 logical fallacies, and for those who are interested, I sell logical fallacy bookmarks on the uh, trivium website and on the Logos Media website, but, you know, that you can carry around with you all the time just to help you remember. But once you memorize at least those basic 20 or maybe 30 fa uh, logical fallacies, then what happens is about six to eight weeks into it, you start catching your own logical fallacies in your thinking. And then once you do that, you say, oh, wait, hold on a second, I'm lying to myself. And then you can stop yourself and say, wait, why am I lying? Why is this upsetting me? To your point right here. Right. And then um, and then once you do that, you can actually go and look up real information and then base those, base your thinking on real information. And then you have real emotion based on the facts, not on misinformation or, or self-imposed lies or fallacies. Yeah, and, and really most people are led by emotion. They're getting um, tricked by their emotions and they're, you know, they're being tricked into outrage and they have very low quality thinking, so they're very easily manipulated. And uh, then they're being manipulated by their feelings. So if you really want to stop being manipulated, you have to start working on your feelings and working through that. So feelings and thought um, especially emotion and thinking, critical thinking is the bridge between the two. Critical thinking is what can help bring them together so that they can be inseparable functions of thought or inseparable functions of mind, rather. Well said. What is emotional intelligence? I mean, we kind of just explained it, but, yeah. you know. It's uh, bringing um, uh, intelligence to bear on your emotional states. It's taking your intelligence, the, the purity of your thinking, and working through your feelings so that you can then, again, cross-reference them back to your thinking. So you're, you're also, you're playing the observer role. So you have to really kind of differentiate yourself into two different people. You are observing your thinking and you're doing the thinking and you're also doing the feeling. So you're, you're observing yourself thinking and feeling and you're the judge judging these two aspects of yourself, your thoughts and your feelings. 
Very well said. So this is why logic, why the trivium, et cetera, which I've heard so many times over the last decade, why they're not juxtaposed to each other, why they work together. Because once you understand this through emotional intelligence, you can have real thoughts, feelings based on the actual facts of a situation. And, you know, see, most people, the social justice warrior left, for instance, to point the finger, uh, they generally approach things through pure emotion and right. not through uh, reasoning first and then having the emotion based on that. It's like, you know, I've had people ask me, well, how do you love then? It's like, well, no, you understand your love through your, you know, through trust, through building a solid relationship, through, you know, family, et cetera, not just you know, I love everybody, you know, let's go love the Muslims who want to kill all the kafir and all of this kind of nonsense, right? Well, that's, that's communist, that's socialism, that's, that's free love for all. And that's give it that's no boundaries. That's enmeshment. Right? Yes. Again, well said. So um, let's get into what is Logos? Well, you're here on the Logos media show. So why don't we discuss what is Logos? How did I come to the conclusion that I needed to change my company name from Gnostic Media to Logos Media. And, you know, it's, it's a huge underlying reason behind that. And we're, you, you nail it really well in your, in your video, which is, by the way, linked below in the uh, show notes. Okay. Um, let me go there really quick. So, I mean, there's obviously the standard Wikipedia definition, but for me, it's reason. It's the law of reason. It's natural law. It's aligning yourself to objective principles. So we can, we can build ourselves without reason, our character. We can build our character without objective principles. You were talking about earlier how um, anything goes. It's kind of like solipsism. Um, they, they, they detach themselves from reason and they've transcended reason. Well, now they're just floating around. They don't have any objective tether. They're not building their house on a solid foundation like the metaphor of Jesus saying, you know, you have to build your house on the rock, not on the sand. You have to build your, your house on objective principles. And the, the, logos, the logos is these objective principles that you can build your house upon. Clarity, reason, objectivity. Um, and, you know, the scientific method is just one of many different types of reason that is very valuable to use. Um, empathy is a type of reasoning. You need to have empathy to actually uh, to tether to that so that you can build your house on a solid foundation. Now, the house is your personality. The house is the, the structure of you know, your character that you're building upon that foundation, that logical foundation, that reasonable foundation. John Locke called it the law of reason. Other people have called it natural law. <laughs> um, Somebody just posted up law of nature. Good job. Yeah. They, they saw it coming. So... Um, you know, through, and, and what I should say is, yes, it is reason, and Logos is also where we, and I just showed your image on screen from your video, mm, uh, yes. and uh, so Logos is where we get the word logic from, and Logos is God, yeah. and Jesus is Logos incarnate, and uh you know, so, and then he shows us the proper way to live through Logos or through living in truth, through reason, through logic. And most people think that Christianity is based on some airy-fairy guy who's floating on a throne in space. They don't understand that the whole foundation of Christianity 
is based on reason or logic and truth. So when we understand that re- that logos is reason, that we get the word uh, logos or that we get the word logic from logos, then we can understand that logic is the art of non-contradictory identification. And I would like to to add that there's a a, a verse in Isaiah. It's uh, Isaiah one eighteen. It says, "Come now, let us reason together," says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Reason is how you can forgive sins. And Jesus was supposedly the one that died on the cross to forgive our sins. Re- and I also also call the crucifixion the crucifixion of reason. It is the mob mentality. Yes, yes. So when you crucify reason, when you crucify Jesus on the cross, you, you are uh, you are attempting to to kill reason. But you, but reason is actually how we can we can attain forgiveness because once we understand something, when we understand through empathetic reasoning, when we understand each other, we can actually do the the process of. Um, thesis antithesis and synthesis where you you have the problem somebody brings a challenge then the other person reacts to the problem so in the victim villain hero triangle this would be the the villain brings the problem they're the thesis the victim reacts to the problem they're the antithesis antithesis then you have when you work through it together now you can create the synthesis and that is the forgiveness that that happens when you're actually using reason rather than being just a giant victim. And then what the left does is they just take it and invert it to do the exact opposite, essentially. But, right. They use that same process to manipulate. Right. Exactly. Right. So once you get, once you understand this, this is how Christianity is used to create a, a utopian society through understanding, through logic, through reason, with the first axiom being that reality is real. And, you know, and therefore, you know, we can rely on the fact that there are no contradiction, contradictions in nature, and a contradiction is always a lie or an error. God cannot lie. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Satan is the father of all lies. And then once we grasp this, we can understand how Christianity creates this solid foundation for culture, whereas the left, through socialism and communism, does it by force, does it through manipulation, does it through promoting... Uh, discord through opposites, which we're just about to go into here in a second. But how does Logos deal with reality? I kind of just gave that away. But Are you talking about the uh, the verse where Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, the life? Yeah. <laughs> okay. John. So or, no, no, wait. I, sorry. Go ahead. So there's a verse, and I actually I don't have it listed what, which one it is, but Jesus or the divine Logos. Logos answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I have a, a picture, and I don't know if you're sharing that picture or not, or if you can share it. Uh, is, uh, which one is that? The the one with the cross. Yeah, yeah, knowledge. yeah. I'll, I'll, sh- I'll put it up again. I just showed it. There you go. Okay. So you have knowledge, uh, logic, and wisdom, or the lo- Logos and wisdom. And you, you go from where you're at and you, you build a bridge, and this would be in the, um, the, the rational state, to wisdom. 
So a lot of people make what's called a pre-trans fallacy. They want to get to wisdom. They want to get to heaven. They want to get to the good relationship, the perfect marriage. They want to get to a you know successful um, business without actually building the bridge. And the bridge is the logos, that is Jesus, and that is the cross. That is the the message of the cross, reason. So if they use the cross to crucify reason, um, this is actually now the means to get to God, to get to wisdom. So. The pre-trans fallacy says, I'm going to skip over the, the logos and I'm going to get to wisdom without going through the rational state, without internalizing the logic, without understanding it. So I have no understanding. I think I'm going to go from knowledge straight to wisdom without any understanding. And this is pretty much how uh, society acts. And this is how most universities, uh, with the exception of um, your Ivy League colleges and stuff like that, that actually do teach a, at least some kind of version of the trivium. This is what they're doing. They're they're uh, they're just giving you knowledge and wisdom. This is what you you the what and this is the how. This is the what. This is the how. They don't teach you the why. They don't teach you first causes. They don't teach you understanding first causes. And as um, Aristotle said in uh, Metaphysics, that the difference between you know a master and a layman, and between the ones who give orders and the one who take orders, is understanding of first causes. Let's see. I already covered that. Discuss how the left or social left socialism, Marxism, postmodernism, perennial philosophy, Islam, etc., are trying to subvert logos. Okay, so this is an interesting thing. So, if you look at the philosophy of deconstructionism, and deconstructionism is in the in the spirit of Marxism. Of course, there's the uh, everything to them is a binary. And all binaries, which is contrasts, and there are lots of binaries and lots of contrasts, are of the unwanted, wanted variety. And in their mind, that's the victim and the villain. So the the wanted is the, uh, or I don't know. Well, it could be <laughs> like male the versus the oppressed. They yeah, have the yeah. Oppressed male women. or female versus oppressed. You know, female victim, male uh, oppressor. Right. Uh, Right. You this know, is actually uh, a black, of, black victim, white oppressor, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All, all the is, way. is the, the carnists, you know, who, who right. Yeah. All Mark Passio's uh, carnist loaded language, et cetera. The Mark's Mark Passio, the so-called former Satanist. So um, anyway, so they attack uh, these binaries. So they actually they there's some binaries that are co-creative, but they treat those co-creative binaries as uh a duality as the wanted unwanted variety of as the oppressor and the oppressed. So if you have a bad experience and you're like, Hmm, I had this bad experience. I'm going to now work through that experience and try to gain some clarity and insight and understanding as a result of that. And that's how we find meaning. We go through an experience and we can find meaning by focus, by understanding what we don't want and then focusing on what we do want. Well, what they do is they say, we're, we're just going to get rid of meaning. So it's nihilistic. There, and we're going to destroy meaning by destroying all binaries. We think there should be no binaries and everything should be equitable. So that they say equality, but it's actually equity. And equity is where everything is the same and they want sameness. So they're going to destroy and they're going to confuse the difference between male and female because they say women are oppressed and males are their oppressors. Well, hey, it's tran not. transgender to the rescue or, or make up your own gender so that you're not yes. cisgendered. And having to identify with one or the two, but as you said, the the male and the female are actually co-creative, so they have to create this false 
dichotomy, this false, yeah. uh, you know, uh, victim versus oppressor. Yeah. And because they do that, they're actually destroying meaning because I get to know myself as a man by being with a woman and a, a woman or my wife, she gets to know herself as a woman by being with me. And we get to this, this dance between the male and the female, the masculine, and the feminine is how we, we create meaning. What does it mean to be a man? Well, I can learn that through what it's like to be with a woman because she's going to show me kind of a, a difference in me. And now I'll, I'll also get some, you know, just by talking to you, I can learn what it's like to be a man also, because let's say you have some masculine attributes that I haven't seen before. And there's, there's also some uh, contrast happening, you know, between you and me or between me and another guy, but also there is, there is a contrast happening between the opposites. And these are not necessarily oppositional as opposite would imply, but they are co-creative. So Marxism wants to destroy all distinctiveness. They want to conflate things. They want to confuse it to the point where it's all equitable, all same, all one thing. And then when they do that, then that's nihilism, essentially. They're destroying meaning. Now it's without transhumanism, they want to get rid of death. Well, if you get rid of death, you can't understand life. Right, right, right. Well, you know, and, uh, you know, so the, the guests used to play the drinking game whenever the, the Huxleys were mentioned. So who created transhumanism but Julian Huxley? So we never in any of this perennial philosophy written by, you know, Aldous Huxley, the book, uh, uh, tra uh, transhumanism, trans this and that, that's Julian Huxley. It's all eugenics and MK Ultra stuff. But, um, that is the goal of all of this stuff is to create a slave mentality in the society where they can't even know morality. See, through socialism and communism or Marxism, they believe that by erasing morality and binary, you know, which, you know, God created man and woman. So if they erase all of that through through this communism, it will create a chaos, and then through that, their utopia will rise. What they don't say is that their utopia is Satanism, and every time they try to implement it everywhere, the whole culture collapses, and everybody ends up in, in poverty, Venezuela being the most recent, and, you know, this, this Bernie Sanders guy is the next uh, incarnation of this uh, radical, you know, Satanism stuff that they're, that the left is trying to promote against society so I, I think even that's a marxist dialectic though is it yes i think that they're they're now presenting satanism this evil satanism and then there's going to be the reaction to it and then lucifer is going to show up as the angel of light so you're going to move from the the nasty satanism to the the kinder gent gentler fluffier luciferianism or you know this angel of light that appears. Well, that's what Lucifer means, the, the angel of light. Yes, yes. So it's going to be a um, uh, maybe even a it's it's a difference between an ideology and a philosophy. So I an ideologue is still being emotionally led. They're they're reasoning from a conclusion and based on wounds. So they they like if you look at a libertarian, most libertarians, not all, uh, but a lot of them are not philosophically based. They're ideological. Correct. An ideological libertarian is is reasoning from a wound. Ow, stop it. The government bad. Ouch. Stop. <laughs> right? Well and said. If they're, yeah. reasoning, if they're reasoning from that ouch, stop it, they're reasoning from emotion. Correct. Rather than well, from evidence. Correct. And and in my view, 
and I used to kind of align with libertarianism before I just became a conservative. But uh, libertarianism is the ideology that, you know, any type of consensual behavior is okay and should be legal because it's not bad, you know. So it should be okay to have pornography, sell pornography. It should be okay to have drugs, sell drugs, etc. Never mind that drugs and pornography and these things have a huge impact on families, on society, and they, they destroy family and society and kill people. And they'll say, well, you know, well, that person chose to. But so what libertarianism is, is it's the right or the ideology to promote these things without any responsibility for the damage incurred to society as a whole i think we're headed towards a libertarian world society a one world and and, and satan is going to go down in flames and the lucifer libertarian is going to rise up now i am a classical liberal which is philosophical so i have a lot of the same conclusions that a libertarian would have not the ones that you just mentioned but a lot of other ones but it's i came there from philosophy and not from a wound Right. Well, you know, and the typical libertarian symbol is the serpent, which says, don't tread on me. I mean, you know, which is, isn't that exactly Lucifer's philosophy? He didn't want to follow God's rules of natural law and then fell. So emotionally motivated reasoning. Okay. So emotionally motivated reasoning is where we are reasoning from the wrong place in the brain. So we, we feel the emotion, it's pain. And the pain center of the brain lights up and says, ow. And, <laughs> and then what we do is we try to find a reason to assuage that feeling. And then we get a hit of a, an endorphin or um, you know dopamine or something for solving the riddle. So if I read a post of yours and it triggers me, I go, ah, and then I make a comment that's really rude and I attack you on it. What, what's happening is now I'm getting that when writing that comment, I just got a release of an endorphin and it's actually an addiction to attack you because it makes me feel better because I just use this um, motivated reasoning, emotionally motivated reasoning, which is polarized. I'm polarizing into this emotion uh, to feel good. And now I'm an addict of attacking people. I'm an addict of feeling outraged. I'm an addict to feel upset because every time I feel upset, now I have a justification to attack them and get my hit. Right. And this is this that, that was the perfect definition of the online trolls and the GDL community and these types of people. Well said again. And, it, and it's the anti empathy because you're not actually asking them, well, what's your viewpoint? And I want to understand it. You're attacking that viewpoint immediately because you immediately feel pain looking at their viewpoint. So, I mean, if I feel pain looking at your viewpoint, I can't really empathize with you, can I? <laughs> no, because, uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, it's the, I don't, I'm not going to say it. I'll just let it go. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anyway, so uh, let's see here. A few more things to bring up here. Confirmation biasing or biases. Okay, so confirmation bias. Um, I didn't prepare for this one. <laughs> Uh, so confirmation bias is where you're, you're, you're trying to confirm. So if I do an internet search and I want to 
prove my point to you. So you, you say something, it triggers me. I'm now in motivated reasoning, emotionally motivated reasoning, but I don't have a good thing to search. So I'm going to search for something that confirms my bias. Right. And then I'm going to share that with you. So without, I, without actually fact checking or going down to the base primary research level. Right. So I see this a lot with mandatory vaccinations. Um, a lot of people who are really pushing and they're like, it's science, so you should get vaccinated. But really, mandatory vaccinations is just another type of socialism. It's making other people responsible for your health. Right. Uh, you vaccinated to protect me. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well said. And uh, this this whole mentality, well, if everybody else is vaccinated, why should I be vaccinated? How could I give you a disease if you're already vaccinated per your, yes, thank you. you know, per your so-called logic but of course you know uh, what they don't want to admit is that vaccines cause huge damage and autism is like one in 28 in the u.s now or lower than that or mm -hmm. higher than that it used to be like one in several hundred and uh, now it's an extremely rampant problem and years ago i interviewed dr andrew wakefield on the show who lost his uh license to practice medicine because he came out exposing the MMR vaccine. And uh, the, the Lancet, Richard Horton at the Lancet did a big hit piece on him and they were former friends. And, you know, there was a huge fraud. I went through that entire case. I studied everything about it. And it was clear that they, you know, that they set him up and used him as a scapegoat to shut things down. Because, you know, it's like this guy, uh, you know, Microsoft guy, Bill Gates, saying that they're going to control population with vaccines. And just recently, yeah. you know, uh, on Catalina Island off of Los Angeles, they admit that they're using vaccines to control the, the bison population. They just, within the last few weeks, came out with an article saying that they're, you know, now because they've emasculated the men and attacked hunters so much, now there's a deer population problem. So now they want to use vaccines to control the deer population rather than just saying, you know, hunters come back. We're sorry we were wrong. Right. So, um, you know, so Bill Gates wants to and he comes up with this absurd formula that he shows on his TED talk to justify using uh, uh, vaccines for uh, uh, uh population control hold on a second you know i'm just pulling it up so here let me find the image here anyway yeah i'm not finding the right one but you know he has this ridiculous theory that he showed on screen i'm, I'm surprised it wasn't the first one that that popped up but you can see the the fallaciousness in his in his arguments well i mean first you have to have logic and be able to understand you know the fallacies he's using but he uses a lot of sophism to create the illusion that th what they're proposing is the right thing to do. And, you right, know, it's, these, it's these, right. And these ultra elitists. Yeah. And his, his father, his grandfather ran uh, Planned Parenthood. Let's look up Bill Gates here. Bill Gates. Come on down, sir. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Bill Gates, eugenics, uh, eugenics proposal at Ted conference, 2010, and, excuse me, population control and uh, Gates family, uh, William H. Gates uh, Sr., and he was one of the people behind Planned Parenthood, and which, of course, is a massive eugenics organization killing off large segments of the population. It's like this Greta Thunberg uh, girl, idiot, that's out there. Uh, her... <laughs> 
uh, her family created the uh, greenhouse effect. Her great-grandfather was Cervante Arrhenius, and he actually created the greenhouse effect, and he was involved in eugenics and population control, too. And uh, but you know these are some of the things that the left uh, promotes down here, you know, and a lot of the promoters. But Planned Parenthood, population control, all these different topics down here are you know wheat, uh, homosexual, homosexuality, veganism. How does veganism play into eugenics? Well, as it turns out, not only is the brain made up of cholesterol and burns fats, but so does the reproductive system, and in fact. Testosterone is made from cholesterol. All you soy boys, now you know where you got your name from. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, and not only that, soy is loaded in phytoestrogen, so you get man right. boobs, and you know, you 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 think that you know your food comes from a wrapper at the store, and then you use these emotions to justify. Uh, why you shouldn't be a man, you know, all of your successful ancestors before you were wrong and you got it right for eating soy. And never mind, you don't have any children. Yep. So what is the anti-Logos? The anti-Logos is Marxism and all of its proxies, deconstructionism, because they are, they're all attacking meaning. They're all attacking purpose. Um, and, one of the, a big core tenet of logocentrism is meaning and purpose and finding that meaning in your life and living a meaningful life. And they are attacking that by attacking the binaries. They're confusing all the different, you know, they're, they're confusing the genders. They're confusing um, what it means to live, what it means to die. They're confusing um, religion. They're, they're confusing all kinds of things. They're confusing logic. I mean, if you look at it, they're confusing logic itself. And and dialectic is, you know, when, when people two people come together in a dialectic, they're reasoning together. It requires two people to come together to do that. I argue with my wife all the time, and we argue in order to refine our thinking. We don't argue to win, we argue to refine. And as we we process, we argue to refine our thinking, we argue to become to refine our character, really. We are uh, really inviting, <clears throat> excuse me inviting the, the logos deeper into our hearts. And anytime you, you try to destroy meaning, you are the anti-logos. Well said. So what is the anti-logos for those who don't see the blatant conclusion there? You want me to say it or do you want to say it? Marxism? Well, it's that, but <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's literally the Antichrist since Jesus is yes, yes. Logos incarnate. So it would literally yes. be the Antichrist. So this is why Marxism, socialism, all of this stuff that people claim isn't really that bad, um, you know, is actually the Antichrist, literally. It, because it's against reason. Logos is reason. Logos is logic. It's against reason, and it promotes this moral relativism it promotes this anti-binary you know anti-natural law state of existence which and, and it, it's it's anti-individual it's it's anti-individual it, it's, and... it's it's mob rule yes um which the mob it, needs to take your weapons away your firearms and whatnot so they can rule you and get you into line and and the mob is again the mob crucified reason the mob crucified crucified jesus that's the whole boom. 
and and in fact the whole monster getting you know the the mob that shows up at you know dracula's castle with pitchforks and and uh torches what they've done is they've said there's the monster those people they're the monster jesus is the monster logos logos is is the monster attack the monster crucify the monster <laughs> right so um left wing right wing same bird you know so and people don't grasp that right righteousness correct behavior following truth following logos reason christ etc versus left wing or left hand path satanism marxism socialism promoting pedophilia bestiality homosexuality the destruction of the family uh, abortion post-birth abortion all of this stuff and then you know the ultimate uh the ultimate uh, dichotomy or holding two contradictory thoughts is a leftist christian that's not even possible you have to be utterly in some form of delusion as to what Christianity is to be able to hold, you know, that thought or that belief, because that's literally against everything that Christianity teaches. Well, it lacks self-reflection. It lacks self-awareness. Those kinds of, the people that are attracted are very externalized. They're attracted to socialism, attracted to left-hand path. They're very much externalized. They're very much looking outside of themselves. And when I say looking outside of themselves and externalized, I mean that they're not reflective. They're not looking internally. They're seeing everything outside of them as, oh, you're the villain. You've made me a victim. You've made that person a victim. They're not, they're not taking responsibility and in, in being an individual and being accountable for their actions and their thoughts and their feelings. They're instead projecting their accountability onto others. They have no boundaries. They're enmeshing with other people and thinking that other people are responsible for them. So they, the thing that they lack is they lack empathy for themselves. Not only do they not have empathy for other people and their viewpoints, they literally lack empathy for themselves. They don't know how to ask themselves good questions to in self-reflection. They, they lack reflectiveness. And the black pastor, Jesse Lee Peterson, who has a huge uh, online Sunday church channel, has exposed this endlessly within the black community, trying to get them to come around and real, you know, realize this, you know, and the... Uh, you know, it's always the oppressor versus the victim, and it's like, okay, you got to stand up and start reasoning and come out of that mentality. Um, you know, and I saw an article the other day that the U.S. is actually one of the least racist and oppressive countries, you know, and people can go to, you know, many various countries in Europe and see, uh, you know, far more uh, of that behavior. Yeah. Yeah, it's, we have it really good here. We have it really good in the West and, and in America in, in general. And uh, they've been, it's like a cancer. They're attacking themselves. They're attacking the rest of the healthy body, thinking that it's bad, but it's a healthy body. But they are behaving like cancer behaves and they are spreading and metastasizing. And they're, I hope I said that right. Um, and they're attacking the rest of, of the healthy parts of the body uh, in deconstructing it. They're destroying the body. And they're doing that on purpose, or they're being tricked into doing that on purpose. They're they're not conscious of it. They're just shadow projecting. How are, in your opinion, are all social justice warriors or SJWs narcissists? Okay, so narcissists have this thing called jade: justify, argue, uh, defend and um 
I forget what E stands for, but it, it's a, a cycle of getting people into circular arguments. And they're, they're constantly getting people into circular arguments with that don't make a lot of sense. They're, it's very emotional. And people always try to defend themselves. They're like, well, you just made an accusation of me. I'm going to defend myself. And you, you can never actually win against a narcissist when they're doing this to you. Simply by engaging, they win. Simply by engaging in their narcissism. So a lot of people say, well, you should listen to other people's viewpoints. You should, this is the whole empathy thing, right? We need to listen to their viewpoints. Well, we can control the, the conversation by asking them questions. Uh, but if they're not going to do that and they're just going to attack, we don't have to actually engage with being attacked. That's, that's not empathy. That's being a doormat. So the, the, the SAWs, that's just their calling card. They're, they're policy enforcers. They don't have any will of their own. They, they actually abdicated their role of reason. They're like, I'm not going to take responsibility of reason in my life. I'm going to abdicate it to my my ideology. My, my ideology tells me to believe this and to say this. Now I'm going to go through these parroting talking points. I'm going to parrot these talking points and attack you. So and, you're and, not and, actually arguing with a person. You're arguing with an ideology. NVC essentially, right? Uh, well, they're even more aggressive, I would think. <laughs> the, uh, the, the kind ones are doing NVC. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Would you like to, uh, we did this last week, but, uh, would you like to end with, uh, John one? I put that in the show notes. Did you catch that? Yeah. Um, I don't have it. Uh, in if you front. have it to read, yeah, I don't have it. In front All of right. Me, no. Well, and we can at least, uh, do this a little bit in the beginning was the word, which is logos. And we'll pull that up here. The word logos right there. That's where Logos comes from. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness. And that's like the light of truth. And the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was not in the world, and the world was not... was. Wait, sorry. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many received him, to them gave their power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses... But the grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. 
Logos Incarnate. So I think that's a good place to wrap it up there, Nathan. Sounds like a good place. How about uh, we have you on to uh, do a part two of uh, your other material? Would you like? Sure. Would you I'd like to it. do that? Would you like to come oh, yeah. on uh, next Tuesday? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Thank you so much, and thank you for staying up late. I know it's late for you. It's, what, uh, 2 a.m. right now, so we'll kick you off to bed. 3.15, actually. <laughs> oh, 3.15, my bad. So we'll let you go to sleep there in Belgium, and uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for your support. Logosmedia.com, please uh, support the show. Uh, you can also uh, subscribe to the channel, hit the uh, alerts button, subscribe by Patreon, which is posted in the show notes below. Much appreciated, and thank you, everyone, and good night.